The sermon series that we're in is all about being different, and it's really about what makes Christians different, according to the book of James. And you all know, because uh, you've, you've read things and you see things, and most of you have been a part of a church, that a lot of times Christians don't look different. And it seems in our, in our world, it, it's hard for us sometimes to even figure out, as Christians, what should be different about us. You know, kind of the only uh, role models that some of us have on, on Christians that look different are, are people that are just weird. Uh, and they kind of, they mask it in the name of Jesus, but they're just kind of weird. And, and that's not what I'm ascribing to, I don't know about you, but that's not my goal in life. And, and this series is about what we can do, what we can change to look different than everybody else so that when people look at Christians, they, they might not like us still, they, they might not believe in what we believe in still, but at least they'll be like, those people are different. And so far we've seen that we should be different in trials when difficulties and pains and struggles come to our lives. We should be different in those. We've seen that we should be different in religion uh, because what we believe we should act on. It's not just our words, but it's really doing something, feeding and helping widows and orphans. Uh, we've seen that we should be different in our relationships, that we should not base our treatment of people on what they can do for us, but rather uh, what God would have us do for them. And last week, Matt did a brilliant job of, of taking a very difficult, controversial passage, as he said, uh, in the sermon, and applying it in a really unique, I thought, and, and different way, and that is to say that, that faith without works is dead, and that, that separates us because the world, the world says you can believe whatever you want. You don't really need to act on it. Just kind of spew what you, whatever you, you feel like that day, and you're good there. And Matt reminded us that as Christians, uh, we have been called to act upon our beliefs and to live out our faith. And today, we're going to see that we ought to be different in what we say, in our words, in our tongue, as James will describe it for us. I have never been much of a swearer, uh, a cusser. I've never been somebody, and that doesn't mean I haven't had a foul mouth, and we'll get to that later in the sermon, but uh, uh, not recently, but uh, in days gone by. But I've never been much of a cusser or a swearer, uh, but I have a, a couple of memories. I shouldn't laugh. You're probably going to judge me, but I have a couple of memories uh, of 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 using swear words, uh, even when I, because I've never really been a cusser, but using cuss words uh, that, that, that really stand out in my mind. And the first one, senior year of high school, and it was the time most in life when I was starting to use swear words a little bit more freely, not a lot, but a little bit more freely. And I missed a lane in a basketball practice, which is not good. You don't, you don't want to miss lanes, especially when Coach Gar is your coach. And I yelled, oh, and then beep, um, the stuff it smells like outside today for some reason, uh, oh, beep, and my coach looks at me, Coach Cross, and he says, if you ever say that again, then you're going to run forever or something, uh, some empty threat, uh, and it was weird, this is what makes it weird, not that my coach got mad at me, well, yeah, that's what makes it weird, because... I had one of the cleaner mouths on my team. Uh, uh, nobody else was ever holding back, not cussing. It wasn't like a part of the culture. 
I, our football team had an acronym on the butt of our shorts that, that, uh, that had one of the letters is for a swear word. And so it wasn't like I came from this moral high school where everybody was trying not to swear or anything like that. It was a normal part of language for the people I was around, for the people on my team. And so that moment kind of stood out because it's like, you're mad at me because I said it once, you know, like what about everybody else around here? And I don't know why Coach Cross got mad at me. I'm glad that he did. Uh, But I do wonder if Coach Cross was upset at me or felt the need to say something because he kind of instinctively knew that it wasn't who I was or who I wanted to be. And I think maybe that Coach Cross, he probably wouldn't have said this. It probably didn't all go through his mind. He may have just been having a bad day. But I think he understood something that's going to kind of drive this sermon today, that what we say is a reflection of who we are. And I think that my O beep stood out because it wasn't really who I was. In, in college, uh, Christian college, Western Baptist college, we were playing a fall ball game. And, uh, I, I, and I, at this point, I was living for Jesus even uh, and, and really focused on Jesus. And a fly ball was hit. I was playing second base. It was at Chemeketa Community College in Salem is where we had that game. And I took two huge steps backwards. I actually think I dropped this way. Uh, I took two huge steps backwards. And... I realized that the fly ball, that means when it goes into the air really high, for the people who don't know here, fly ball like this. And I realized it's going to be way in front of me. And I yell, oh, beep. Again, same word. Stuff it smells like outside. And I run in, and I catch the ball, no big deal. And I come back, and my shortstop was like a big brother to me, the guy I was playing shortstop next to, Dustin Purnell. And I look at Dustin, I'm playing for Western Baptist College, keep in mind, right? My grandma's in the stands. There's not a lot of people there. It's a fall ball game. And I say, Dustin, could you hear that? <laughs> and Dustin gets this goofy grin because Dustin can get the goofy grin that tells you everything you need to know, actually. And Dustin gets this goofy grin on his face and goes, everybody heard that. <laughs> and it was embarrassing because of the same reason that I think it's an indicator, our language of who we are, and it, as a Christian who, you know, didn't want to be somebody that looked at, was looked at as a cusser, especially when you go to Western Baptist with all the homeschool kids, no offense, homeschoolers sitting in front of me, but like, you don't want to be a cusser, and it was embarrassing because it like felt like it said something about who I was, you know, even though it wasn't who I really was. And I think that the reality is, and I think we all kind of know this maybe instinctively, that our language, the things we say are indicative, they're a reflection of who we are. But here's the other kind of side of this, is we live in this culture that very much, if I could describe it, uh, ascribes to a sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me culture. And while we kind of know that, that our language is indicative of kind of something deeper, what's inside of us, what, who we are, uh, what we think like, what we believe, what our faith is in, we also have kind of bought in to this idea that words are not that important. It's like we have this mindset that says, well, yeah, sure, I, I told the guy what I really thought of him, but at least I didn't punch him, you know? 
I mean, we have this mindset like, well, you know, I, I know that I was super mean to my spouse and I said things that were very, very cruel and unfaithful, but, uh, or behind her back even or whatever, but at least I didn't commit adultery, you know, at least I didn't sleep with somebody else. And I think that we have this culture that kind of instinctively knows that our words are indicative of something else, but also we have this culture that has minimized the power of words. We feel it, right? Because nobody says really in the moment when somebody has said something that cut deep to their soul, like, oh yeah, well, sticks and stones will break my bones, so no big deal. I mean, we feel it, but yet philosophically, we kind of act like, "Eh, it's just my words. You know, I just said something. I didn't really do anything. I just talked about it. I didn't act on it. And we have this thinking in our culture. In the book of James, book about Christian ethics, as we've, as we've made pretty clear so far, James talks about the tongue, our words, the things we say, in every chapter. And I think James knows what somewhere inside of us, even if we, because of culture or whatever, kind of... Uh, shove it down, we, we try to minimize it, whatever. I think James knows that our words are a big deal. I think James knows that they're a reflection of who we are, but I think he also knows, and this is going to be a big part of what he says, that they are an indica- indication of what we want to become. You see, our words are a reflection of who we are, but they are also, this is key, an indication of of what we want to become, of what we are becoming, of of who we're going to be someday. And if you want to be different, maybe even you're like a a Christian who's like, I'm not really living for Jesus, you know, or you just, I, I want to again. I don't really know what it looks like. Then what James is about to say to us is our words are a great place to start. Even if you're not a Christian, not a believer, I would say that what James is going to say has some application to you too because because your words and the things you talk about are going to indicate if you ever become a Christian, how open you are to Christianity, how open you are to truth really. And and we're going to see that that James says, look, your words are an indicator of who you are and, and what you will become. And this is how he begins, James 3, 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Most of you are like, good news. I don't teach. Chad's preaching the sermon. This only has application for him. I'm off the hook. But here's what you need to know culturally uh, about the first century, especially the Jewish people in the first century. The teachers, while there was some formal teachers, some people who had the label of teacher, of religious leader, of Pharisee, of Sadducee, teachers on a regular Sunday service, Saturday service for them, at their regular synagogue meetings, were actually people that just felt led by God to get up and speak. We actually see Jesus doing ministry in this way very early on in his ministry, where he just gets up, he opens up the scripture, and then he begins to teach people from the scripture. And then they want to stone him after that, but uh, that doesn't probably happen to everybody who gets up and teach. And, and, And here's the thing. For James in this first century audience, it has a far greater application, what he says at the beginning, than just the people who have the formal title 
teacher. This is for all the people who were longing, because of their pride probably, to be called rabbi, to be called teacher by the fellow, by their fellow religious people, by the people who were also trying to follow God. And they could have been people who informally were walking around teaching things. And a lot of people in the churches that James is writing to are teaching false things. And so James begins with this warning. And here's what I see, and this is quite clear uh, if you pay attention to what's said in churches and around. A lot of people, and it's especially in my generation, I found, a lot of young people want to be teachers, biblical teachers. They really want to be somebody and to act like they know more than other people. And I hear quite often people just saying stuff. And most of it isn't dangerous. And I sit and I hear at coffee shops or whatever, and I go, well, that's wrong. Obviously wrong. They should have read the Bible before they started teaching the Bible. But, but a lot of times I hear people, especially in my generation, who just want to be somebody, and maybe our culture hasn't given us an op- opportunity to be somebody or something. And so they just say stuff. And they put themselves, and this is where this teaching, I think, really connects to you. They put themselves in the position of teacher but they say things that are untrue. And I think that James is warning and saying, look, be careful if you're putting yourself in the position of teacher. And that doesn't mean don't be an encourager. That doesn't mean don't say nice things to people. That, mean, that doesn't mean don't talk to people about the Bible. But in your hearts, when you have said, look, I know more than you, make sure that you remember this warning. And that is that teachers will be judged more strictly. Now, James wants you to know, because part of this is a moral thing, I mean, if you're going to be a teacher, then you should try to be living out the things that you're teaching. That would be really important. And so James already can see what, what people might respond, like, well, nobody's perfect. How many times do we hear that in our modern era? And then so in James 3, 2, he says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Nobody is perfect. Now, I want you to see this this kind of dichotomy in this passage. Because normally when people say in the church culture today, in the world today, nobody's perfect. What they mean is, get off my back. Stop talking to me about how I should do better. It's okay if I do a bunch of dumb stuff. Because obviously nobody's perfect. This is how it's normally used. But I want, this is what I want you to notice here. This is the really cool part. James says, hey, nobody's perfect, but let me tell you how you can become more perfect. You see, the nobody's perfect thing should compel us to try to be more like God wants us to be rather than hold us back where we're just like making it an excuse. And so James says, look, nobody's perfect, but let me tell you how you can move towards He uses the word perfection, but he's actually using a word here that means uh, complete or or to no longer be a novice, but to move into the world of of being a professional at something, to be an expert at something. So he's not saying we're going to be sinless, but he is saying here's how you can move forward as a Christian. Learn to control the things that you say. That's kind of interesting, kind of weird. I mean, it's just my words. Why would it have an effect on anything else? 
Who cares what I say? It's more about what I do. But James, I mean, quite clearly, whoever is never at fault in what they say is perfect or complete or no longer a novice, able to keep their whole body in check. What James says is that learning to control our words will help us have self-control in other areas of our life. That makes our words a much bigger deal, does it not? I mean, if what we say really is, as I said up front with no biblical evidence when I first said it, but now I have the biblical evidence behind it. If what I say is in some ways dictating, controlling, moving my life in a certain direction, then what I say becomes a really, 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 really big deal. I mean, James says if you want to move towards moral perfection, if you want to become more like God wants you to be, then here's a great place to start. Learn to control the things that come out of your mouth. Now I know because I'm around Christians a lot. I'm around good Christians a lot that really want to serve Jesus. And a lot of times we get stuck and we think like, I'm at a place where I'm not sure how to move forward in my relationship with God. There's no big sin, you know. I'm not doing any of the, the big sins. I'm not really seeing any problems that are, need fixed. Sometimes I get a little mad at people or whatever, but it's nothing major. How can I, like, start to move forward again? James says, learn to control what you say. And then he goes in and he just launches into illustration in James 3, 3 through 6. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, these illustrations don't work for me at all. Uh, I am a city boy. If he would have used a sports analogy, it would have done a lot better for me. And so we have a couple of pictures to help make these things work. The first is a bit that goes in a horse's mouth. I had no idea what that looked like until I Googled it. And so the bit kind of goes like this and then up right here. And then you tie the reins. Is that right? Can make it arty? Give me a thumbs up. Okay, she give me the heads up. Um, and, and the reins get tied to it, and then you, you do this on the reins or whatever you do, and you say, yeehaw, or what? I don't know how it all works. but, uh, but And then it ste you steer the horse with this little piece of metal. Now, I love horses, actually. I know it doesn't sound like it now, but I really, they're like my favorite animal. I just think they're majestic looking. Uh, I had a neighbor once. Actually, I should have used this in an analogy later, but I had a neighbor once who found out I was a pastor, and and then everything became spiritual as it always does. And he, he uh, was a horseshoer. And he, oh, Jesus rides in on a white horse. <laughs> like, yes, thank you. And the Kentucky Derby takes place on horses too. But, uh, um, but like horses are just majestic, large, beautiful animals. And James says this little piece of metal makes the horse go one direction or the other. And that's how... The tongue and our lives work. Little thing inside of you, average size four inches if you were curious, the tongue. Uh, this little four inch muscle uh, can direct your life like a bit can direct 
a horse. He uses the ship analogy also. And uh, in the book Acts, just to give you, just because you think, I think anyway, when I think about the Bible, I think like they didn't have anything that was cool yet. Like we created it all in the, you know, since my generation came alive or whatever. Uh, but their ships were pretty large. And in, in Acts 27, the big ship story in the New Testament, uh, there's 276 passengers on board a ship. And as you can see in this picture here, even in some modern ships, I tried talking to Steve who was in the Navy about aircraft carriers to really make this analogy work, and it doesn't work because aircraft carriers are steered by things that weigh a uh, thousand tons or something like that. But uh, in the old ships, you got these giant ships, and then in the very kind of bottom back corner of the ship, you have this little rudder. And a guy in front with a pirate wheel, always in my brain, turns it, right, turns, and the rudder in the back, way in the back, moves, and all of a sudden the ship goes in a different direction. And it's pretty obvious what James is saying. Your tongue is small, but yet what you say with it can direct the way in which your life goes. He also says... That the tongue makes great boasts. It's a translation of a word that could be big talk. Isn't that what it does? I mean, doesn't the, don't the things that come out of our mouths, don't they, aren't they big a lot of times? And they, they're bold and, and they really do cause change. Just think of this. Hitler destroyed life. And Hitler had the platform to do that because of the words that came out of his mouth. And James is saying, like, we make this big talk. I mean, the tongue says things, and they're important when they come out, and they can direct where our lives go, and they can direct even what happens to people around us. We have the ability to determine whether somebody has a good day or a bad day based on our mouths, but we also direct the course of our lives with the things we say. James says that, that, that the, a great forest can be set on fire by a small spark. I have a lighter. And it's funny because, you know, we think of this. This doesn't look very powerful. It doesn't look very important in the whole grand scheme of things. But I'm probably not supposed to have it in the school right now uh, because if I left it sitting in the wrong place then this million upon million dollar school would burn to the ground and, and lots of lives would be changed because of it. Our community would be changed because of it, in fact. My, my friends uh, grew up just down the road from his parents' house just burned to the ground because of a little spark in the garage and they had to have the insurance pretty much build them an, an entirely new house. All because of a little spark. James is really showing quite clearly that the tongue and what we use it to say matters for what happens in our own lives and what happens in the lives of those around us. It's a fire, James says, and it can have a major impact just like a lighter can have a major impact. I just want you to think about this. I, I just jotted down, I, I put on my sermon here, just five ways that we can use the tongue negatively 
that I see on a fairly common basis. And, and almost all of them seem very unimportant. They seem like they lack danger, really. But I also wrote next to them some of the things, that just one of the things, I just did one, that they can do, like this, complaining. Have you ever just complained or been better? Have you ever had a fellow employee that complains all the time? It ruins your day. And if you're the one complaining, you're ruining your own day. Have you ever gone somewhere super fun with somebody and they complain? And you're just like, well, ruined, destroyed. I have a rule, no complaining in Disneyland, because I never want it to be ruined. And if you ever went to Disneyland with me and you started complaining, then I would lose you in Space Mountain or something and be done with you. Uh, because I don't want, Dis everywhere else I've heard people complain, everywhere else has been ruined in some ways to me. But Disneyland so far has not been. Complaining can ruin days. It's just a complaint. It's, I don't like this, you know, I don't like that. And it can ruin days. Lies. When you tell a lie, sometimes it seems like no big deal. Lies lead to bigger lies a lot of the times. And bigger lies lead to people doing really bad, bad things to cover up those lies. And we see it in our politicians. We've maybe seen it in our friends where, where one lie turns into a bigger lie, turns into a bigger lie, turns into something uh, pretty, pretty bad. I actually just watched a movie the other night uh, in which a guy told his dad that he was bringing his new girlfriend home, and it wasn't true. And that turned into him taking a woman out of a mental institution to be his fake girlfriend, which turned into him uh, almost going to prison. Little lie. It was a little bit unrealistic, but we kind of get the uh, situation, right? <laughs> it was actually a pretty good movie, and I know you'll never see it now because of my, my description right there. How about slander? Like when you say bad things about people, uh, we hear now all the time how this is leading, this leads to like people actually committing suicide because of the things that have been posted on Facebook or Instagram and, and people, kids especially, teenagers commit suicide because other people have slandered them in some way. Gossip can ruin reputations and people sometimes spend their whole lives trying to get those reputations back. And profanity, one that I mentioned at the beginning, something that really can seem like a very small deal. And at least one study that I found on the internet, a real life study, uh, has been shown, uh, exposure to it has been shown to correlate with aggression in people. So they've actually found that the more you're exposed to profanity, the more aggressive you become in your behaviors. And we think like, it's just a swear word. It's just a lie. I'm just complaining because the food really does suck. You know, I mean, and James is reminding us that both within ourselves and with other people, our tongues, the things we say are a fire, and they can, they can light a bigger fire. They can, cause, it can cause bigger problems. And we need to be aware. We need to pay attention to what James is saying. George Orwell says, but if I, excuse me, but if thought corrupts language, language can also corrupt thought. Pretty good. But if thought corrupts language, language can also corrupt thought. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will ever hurt me and those around me. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will break my own heart and the hearts of those around me. One self-help guy that I discovered online in preparation for this sermon uh, Dr. Andrew Newberg, uh, 
you can Google him and you'll probably have all the wealth and health that you could ever need uh, just by, by following his advice and paying him a little bit of money. Uh, but this is what he said because I did think it was interesting. He said, language shapes our behavior and each word we use is imbued with multitudes of personal meaning. The right words spoken in the right way can bring us love, money, and respect while the wrong words or even the right words spoken in the wrong way can lead a country to war. We must carefully orchestrate our speech if we want to achieve our goals and bring our dreams to fruition. Now, look, he's a self-help guy, and I don't agree with that whole statement because what he makes you think in that statement is obviously like if you just wake up every day and look in the mirror and say you're good looking, that eventually you're going to be good looking, and I don't agree with that. You might still not be good looking uh, at the end of the day, and I am going to... I am going to get the perfect job, and then we're going to get the perfect job. That's, that's not what James is saying. I think Dr. Andrew, what's his name, uh, really just shows what James is saying while using it in a different way. He's saying, look, what we say matters because it has an influence on the world, and it has an influence on us. And we need to be careful. We need to learn to control the things we say because what we say directs and and shows what we are going to become. And then James goes into another illustration in 7 and 8. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of of deadly poison. Ancient people saw the animal kingdom, as we do in large parts, as as really this disorderly thing. And we we know more now because of science and how some of the species operate. But they saw it as really this disorderly kind of thing that they took pride in being able to control. And we still do this in a lot of ways, I've often said I have the greatest dog in the world, and it is true. And part of what makes him great is that I have tamed him. Uh, I mean, it's the truth, right? I mean, what makes Roy cool, the little kids especially, is that I can make him sit, and I can make him wave, and I can spin him around, and I can say bang, and he plays dead, and uh, I can make him do things, right? Nobody, like, looks at Roy and thinks, that's a really cool dog, Well, they do because he's so good looking. But, I mean, nobody says, like, that's a really, you know, that dog is well-behaved until I say, come here. I have to say it more like this. Come here. And then he comes here, you know. And and that's when we look at an animal and go, yeah, cool. Like, we we tamed him. And, And sometimes I think about Roy. He's probably around 90 pounds right now. And if Roy snapped, he could just rip my jugular apart. Like, I think about this sometimes because this is what's so weird about it. He sleeps on my feet every night. I can barely feel my feet anymore. Uh, He sleeps on my feet every single night. It's like his pillow. And I have this creature that if I saw it in the woods, I would be scared to death of him because he could really seriously injure me. I, it's weird memory. I have this weird memory, um, and I actually reached out to a, a girl, uh, my, my friend's high school girlfriend on Facebook this week because I have this memory that, that's kind of there, but it's like dreamlike almost. And it's my friend saying to me, hey, go to this house because I need to pick something up for uh, my girlfriend. Uh, and I'm, 
I'm not dri- it was like 30 minutes away. I'm not driving 30 minutes with you to pick something up for your girlfriend. I have a life. Um, and, and he's like, no, you're really going to want to come see this house. It's really, it's really cool. It's really unique. And so I get in the car, and we drive somewhere southwest of Salem. And we get to this house, and the guy has two collections. He has the best personal sports memorabilia collection that I've ever seen in my life. A lot of hockey stuff. Uh, and... He also has an exotic animal collection. And so uh, we get there, and like the first thing he shows us out in his garage in a cage is this panther that he is just black panther that he had just gotten. And the thing is still scared, and it's, it's like crouched, like ready to kill me. And I look in his eyes like, yep, yeah, it wants to eat me. No good. We go outside, and he has, he has some wolves, a word I don't say very well and try not to say publicly, but he has wolves uh, just hanging out out there. Uh, his house cat was a bobcat. A- and they, they actually say to me, this is, this is real. It's like dreamlike, right? Like he's making this up. And so they're like, you can pet it. I'm like, okay. It's like right here, you know? I'm like, I'll pet it. So I reach for it, and it snaps at me. And then they say, oh, no, you can't pet it like that. <laughs> you got to do it like this. I said, okay, one more shot, right? I reach for it again. It snaps at me again. And they're like, no, 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 like this. And I said, ah, that's good. I saw it. I have a memory. Uh, and it was incredible. And, and his crowning jewel was in this cage outside. He had a white tiger. And what's memorable about that is he gets in the cage with the white tiger. And I, the whole time, I'm thinking, this has been a great experience, but if this guy dies, it's going to be horrible, and I'm going to be very angry at him for dying because it's not as good of a story then, you know. So he gets in with this white tiger, and he's like shoving the thing. He's pushing it. He's hitting it. He's acting like it's, I don't know, a cat with a laser or something, you know, like, oh, get it, little kitty. And it was mind-blowing because you know this happens, right, like the magicians in Vegas, and you've seen it on TV. But when you're like here to here, and a man is in a cage with a white tiger, You think, well, that's stupid, first of all. And second of all, that's quite impressive that this guy, who's little in comparison to the tiger, has tamed this tiger. And what James is saying is, hey, uh, yeah, we can tame white tigers, make them jump through hoops even in Vegas. But the tongue has never been tamed through human power. In fact, it is full of deadly poison. Makes me think about how to train your dragon, uh, which we watched the second one recently. And if you don't know the story of how to train your dragon, then you should go watch it because it's good. Uh, but the story is is that the people, the Vikings, uh, fight the dragons in the first one, and, and they see the dragons as this very evil uh, creature that that nobody can tame, that that has poison in their mouths and fire in their nose and. And they're always at war with the dragon. They're always fighting them. And, uh, and, and the second one is all about how they've kind of trained the dragons, how they have learned to control and love and interact with these dragons. And the main character in the story who really learns how to train a dragon, uh, it, he, he offers this line. He says, I was not a natural. This is the story of becoming 
the hard way. And really he becomes, in that movie, through his love of the dragons, and that's a big part of the second one, which I won't give away because you can still rent it in Redbox, so it's too new for me to use as an illustration. But, but a big part of being able to, in the second one, control these beasts that are way bigger than, than them is his love for his dragon. And the reality is, while the tongue can set the course of life like a, a ship's course is set by a rudder, we cannot, on our own accord, control our tongues. The only way that we can control what we say, that we can learn to talk different, is through God's love for us and our response, our love for Him. The only way that we can learn to control the tongue is through having a relationship with God. It can't be controlled on our own. And James begins to get to this in the next few verses, the last few verses. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James begins by saying, if we're going to praise God with our tongues, then we shouldn't be a person that's, that's constantly complaining and lying and slandering and gossiping and using profanity. But then he gets to it and he says, look, a heart that praises God should also lead to us speaking words of love. He says that Christians have this new source for the things that they say. They have a source that is love, love of God, because we look at God and we say, God, we realize that you first loved us and you demonstrated this love by dying for us and it's the greatest story and the greatest love that the world has ever known and we believe it and so we're responding to it and we become Christians out of that and, and James says the source is new. It's like we've switched springs because now what our source is is, is a love of God. And that love of God should result in us saying things that are in line with that love of God, that express love towards people, that express joy, that express truth, that express honesty, that express how we feel and think and how that is different because we love and have accepted God. And so James, in, a, in one stroke of the brush, says, hey, I, I, want, you to, I want you to hear this, your words will be a reflection of what you are going to become, but they also can only be a reflection of who you are in regards to your relationship with God. It's a two-way street that James is describing here. And it's a two-way street that we really see Jesus get to the heart of. In Matthew 15, 18, and 19, he says, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. But just a little bit before that, Jesus has already said people are faking their good words. And you see, Jesus seems to know what James is talking about here. And that is the only way to control the mouth is to change our hearts. 
through our faith in what God has done, but also if we will strive to say the right things, then it helps change our hearts. It's circular. James doesn't just say, just start saying different things and everything inside of you will be different. He said, that's impossible. But James doesn't also say like, say whatever you want until your heart is good. James says instead, look, control your mouths. But the only way you're really going to be able to do this is to control your heart, to grow in your love of God, to be more passionate about him and his kingdom and who he is and how much he loves you. If I could be just totally honest, I know this reality just so well personally. James has already said that an uncontrolled tongue has its source in hell. That's dangerous, right? But I would say that here, James also says a controlled tongue has its source in a relationship with God. When I was 17, after I cussed and Coach Cross stopped me, I've told this before, but it's really when I got serious about my relationship with God, I confessed some things to a person that, that I was doing that were going on in my life. And out of that confession to that person, it was like I understood how bad I really was before God and how great God's grace was for me, how important it was for me to have a Savior, uh, a sinless Savior. And, and, and I looked at Jesus and I wept and I cried and uh, everything you picture in a conversion experience, um, even though I had been a Christian or called myself a Christian for a long time before that. And I got up the next morning, a different person, an entirely different person. But hardly anything was noticeable about me being different. I didn't stop doing the things I was doing. I still loved my sports. I still went to school occasionally my senior year. I uh, still had the same friends. I still enjoyed the same things. My personality had not flipped. The one thing that almost instantly was changed was the stuff that I talked about. I said I wasn't much of a swearer or a cusser, but I had a foul mouth and I was funny. Uh, I was much funnier as a person who didn't love God, uh, uh, to be honest with you. And, and here's what I got a lot. Uh, really, this was actually said to me by close friends. We miss the old Chad. Well, I'm still pretty much the same, you know. We're still doing the same stuff. We're still hanging out. We're... Uh, still, you know, going to the same things. But we missed the old Chad. And it was primarily pretty much based on one single thing. And that's when God took a hold of my heart. He also took a hold of my tongue. And I stand up here and I say the things that I say and they're all real. I'm not much different in the things that I talk about the, the way that I am when I'm off this stage or on this stage. I still talk about the same way. But God changed my tongue. When he changed my heart, it was instant. And so there's two sides to this. Part of you just needs to get serious about your relationship with God. If you're just, if you're just lying and slandering and gossiping and, and, and swearing and doing whatever you want with your mouth, then, then you don't really love God that much. Hesitate to say that, but I, I think it's true. You don't. 
Maybe you need to have a conversion experience. Maybe you need to confess your sins to another Christian so that God can break your heart and, and make you fall down on your knees and, and change you. But maybe some of you, you're working on it and you're, you're kind of stuck and you're like, well, I want to grow in my relationship with God. I, I, I want to, to develop further and I, I don't, you know, I do care about what I say, but, you know, I'm not perfect. Well, then work on perfectly controlling your tongue. And God says that will also begin to change your heart. When we control what we say, we begin to control how we live. What we say is a reflection of who we are and what we want to become. What we say is a reflection of who we are and what we want to become. And I ask, what do you want to become? And if, if your heart's not right, then you don't want to become a better, more passionate follower of God. And you need to change your heart. But if that's what you want to become, then, then start to say things that are in line with that. I mean, I think of the bad things we say, but also just think of how we talk. I mean, how often do you talk about God? I would like to do a study and say, like, just how often we talk about God versus how often we sin. I know an impossible study to do, but I, I think there would be a correlation. Because what we say is an indicator of what we're going to become. I mean, if you want to live different as a Christian, then you need to begin by changing your heart, and then you need to change your words. And they will go hand in hand. If you're not a Christian, you go, man, I know these Christians who just talk like me and they don't sound any different. Yeah, because they don't love God that much. They just don't care. Nobody's told them and now they have. And so you can hold them accountable after they listen to this sermon. Because when we have a real changed heart, we begin to become different. And I think first and foremost, we begin to become different because our language changes. We don't talk like everybody else. We talk like followers of Jesus. Now here's just one more thing, just an easy one. I like this. If you're a note taker, write it down. Uh, if you follow along on version, then these notes are already there. If you don't know that you can follow along on version, the Bible app, then now you do. Uh, this is it. Ready? Uh, before you talk, you need to think. And I stole this from somewhere, but I stole it a long time ago, and so I don't remember where it's from, and I apologize to whoever owns it. Um, think, and it's an acronym. Ask, is it true? Good starting question, right? I mean, is what you're saying true? And I don't just mean like, are you lying? But is it true in accordance with what God has said? Is it true? Like, I mean, think of the self-talk that we oftentimes do. We, we say things like, I'm not worth anything to anybody. Not true. Not true. Bible says it's not true. Bible says that's not true. The Bible says you're worth so much God sent his only son to die for you. So not true. So you probably don't want to say that. And so ask yourselves, is it true? Whatever it might be, is it true? Then ask yourselves, is it helpful? Man, sometimes we just blabber, right? I blabber sometimes. But is it really helpful? I mean, is it important to say? Is it, does it matter? Are you just talking to make yourself look good? A lot of times we, we talked about listening a couple weeks ago and really had a good conversation in, in our Sunday Connect group about listening. And sometimes we just talk to talk. So is it helpful? Is it inspiring? going to make a difference is it necessary 
this kind of cuts out gossip, right? Because a lot of times when we gossip, we just, whatever, you know? I mean, we're just saying it because it's nice to say, but is it necessary? And then this one, this is a big one. Is it kind? Is it a nice thing to say? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Just think. I mean, before you talk, before you ramble on and on, learn to think. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this, just straightforward. If you want to be different, if you want to make a difference, if you want non-Christians to say, maybe there is something about that Jesus guy, then there's a bunch of changes you can make. James is making that clear. I mean, James has said, you, you be different in how you deal with trials and be different in your relationships and be different in your faith. But let me tell you a great starting point because it will help direct your, the rest of your life. Begin by changing what you say. Because what you say is an indicator of who you are and what you will become. Will you pray with me, Lord? I thank you for this passage. It's been, it's been a great reminder for me this week, Lord. I think I, you know, me, I think my tongue is pretty tame. Um, but God, I haven't thought a lot uh, in a long while about just making my words matter and, and they're important, except for when I'm up here, I guess. Uh, and so thank you for this reminder and this passage. I pray, God, uh, for us, and I pray that we, first of all, we, all of us, Lord, would have hearts that are passionate about following you. I pray that every person who is here with me now, every person who will listen online later, God, I pray that they would know your gospel, that you came and you died so that we could be set free from sin and death and that you rose again on the third day. I pray that they would know that, God, and I pray that they would accept it, and I pray that they would be excited about it. And God, I pray for all of us who do know that and who do uh, accept that and who are excited about that, that, Lord, we would begin to work on the things that we say, that we would talk different God we 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 who are Christians we want we want people to be able to look at us and go yeah maybe that gospel is real we want to be able to preach uh, the truth of what the Bible says God without even using words sometimes we forget how we ought to be different and, and God this this morning is a great place to start. And so, Lord, I know. I know there's people who sit in front of me who lie. I know there's people who sit in front of me who use profanity. Profanity that the world knows uh, Christians ought not use. I know there's people who sit in front of me, God, who gossip. Some people like it. They like the drama. I know there's people who sit in front of me who say mean things on Facebook. They use their words to tear down even people that they don't know. I know there's people who sit in front of me, God, that slander. And they feel justified in slandering others, Lord. 
And I pray right now in this moment you would change their hearts in a way that changes their words. Lord, we thank you for for your words that bring us life, that bring us hope, that bring us joy, that bring us peace, and that bring us comfort. And we pray that our words, our, our words, would be an extension of your words. We pray these things in your name. Amen.